Welcome to The Investigation. I'm senior executive producer Chris Flasto. We're going to take a couple weeks off for the holidays. In the meantime, we hope you give a listen to something else we're working on here at ABC News. It's our daily podcast called Start Here. In just 20 minutes, host Brad Milkey will get you caught up on all the stories that will be driving your day. If you like what you hear, don't forget to head over to Start Here. Hit subscribe, and we'll be waiting for you in the podcast feed every weekday morning. We'll be back with a new edition of The Investigation in the new year when the impeachment proceedings against President Trump begin. It's Tuesday, December 31st, and some stories you wish could just stay in 2019. We start here. In a year scarred by anti-Semitic attacks, prosecutors say the New York stabbing spree was a hate crime. Houses of worship are targeted for hate crimes. That just, that's just a fact. Now we're asking hate group experts what they predict for the new year and what they say should be done. It's nighttime in Australia now, but that glow in the air isn't fireworks. If you look around the country, you can see that there are fires that dot essentially the entire rim of Australia. Somehow the wildfires sweeping across the country are getting worse. And if you wanted a data privacy button on that website, you can thank California. You can say, you know what? I don't want you to have that anymore. You can ask them to delete it. The New Year's law about to go into effect that could shape websites across the nation. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. When the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, came out this weekend in the hours after a horrific stabbing at a Hanukkah celebration, he gave this attack a label. It is mass violence, and I consider this an act of domestic terrorism. Legally, that didn't actually mean anything. Not really. Domestic terrorism is a label people use, but it does not give investigators any more power the way foreign terror might. But yesterday, as the suspect in the case appeared in front of a judge in a white jumpsuit. Tonight, hate crime charges filed against 38-year-old Grafton Thomas. That is a legal difference. Hate crimes do have higher consequences than other ones. Has to do with the motive, right? Was this an attack on someone because of their race or their religion? Yesterday, investigators say they saw exactly that in Grafton Thomas's journals. Investigators say journals recovered from Thomas's home appear to express anti-Semitic sentiments and refer to the Black Hebrew Israelite movement. And let me stop it right there because you might recognize that name, the Black Israelites. A lot of Black Israelite organizations have espoused hatred for Jews over the years. And just weeks ago, when two people opened fire in a kosher supermarket, investigators say they had links to the Black Israelites as well. Now, the family of the stabbing suspect this weekend says that is not him. He is not a member of a hate group. He's unwell. He's always been a gentle giant with mental illness. So among many questions this morning for Americans, for Jewish Americans, is this one. Does that distinction matter to five stabbing victims in Muncie, New York? Let's start today with an expert. Leisha Brooks is the director of outreach for the Southern Poverty Law Center, where they actually track hate crimes. Leisha, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brad, for having me. Well, let me start there with you. Is there a difference between hardcore hate groups and someone who might mention them before committing a hate crime? They're certainly related. I think it's an interesting question, Brad. First of all, the, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center has, has tracked this as well, this increase in rhetoric, this increase in kind of an emboldenment in terms of people speaking their biased and bigoted thoughts um, in the public square, and that gets picked up by everyone. People who are um, bona fide, you know, adherents to hate groups and, and those that are not. The Southern Poverty Law Center uh, concerns itself with existing hate groups and individuals who lead those those hate and extremist groups. Now, 
it's interesting because um, we often find that when in the aftermath of a of a hate crime or any other horrific crime, a shooting, school shooting, or something, um, you'll you'll often find that uh, there was some mental illness, and and it's interesting because that rationale for the, the reasoning behind the person's motivation is rejected when the person is not white. It seems now this person happens to be an African American, and as I understand it, there was some history of uh, mental illness. He was able to explain his behavior with reference to various auditory hallucinations and one might say demons. I also understand that his family um, firmly rejects that he had any association with the group. We're still early in the investigation and I have no way of knowing. But I will say this, that this, this, this increase in online hate this increase in anti-Semitism, which is in fact real, the um, kind of pattern that we've seen in terms of the anti-Semitic um, hate crimes that have taken place just over in New York over the last month or so. Um, as you know, in Muncie, you know, someone was stabbed a month ago. And then we had the, the um, shooting in New Jersey. Dressed in black and armed with high-powered rifles, they drove the truck to a Hasidic community where they entered the kosher market and began firing. So you have these kind of um, actual hate crimes that that happen and then so they're in the news cycle and people pick them up people who who are you know kind of self-avowed anti-semites or haters and people who are not so you got like a disaffected young man he might not be the card-carrying member but he knows he's angry he's watching the news and he says you know what after i saw this now i want to do something like today's the day that's right. I mean, as we understand it, he was doing some online searching. Investigators recovered his cell phone and disturbing internet searches such as, why did Hitler hate the Jews? German Jewish temples near me. These kinds of things that people can easily find and end up in a deadly rabbit hole from, um, you know, searching online can end up in the tragic events that happen. We move on now to new details from that deadly shooting inside a Texas church. The service was being live streamed when a man there at the top opens fire, killing two people before he was shot by a member of that church. Well, so what do you do then? I mean, that, that church shooting in Texas, right, where there was a gun involved, that ended with a security guard shooting the killer because he was armed. In Muncie, New York now, you got former law enforcement officials volunteering to stand guard with guns on their holsters. Is adding more people with more guns just the logical next step? Well, you know, personally, I just don't think guns are the answer. That said, there there does need to be an increase in security. We need to take these things seriously. Um, we see the attacks on synagogues. We see the attacks on mosques. We see the attacks on Christian churches. So houses of worship are targeted for hate crimes. That just that's just a fact. I think it also we also see a clear pattern when there's a religious celebration or um, commemoration that there needs to be an increased security presence. I also do have some concern around the increase in police presence because then that makes us also vulnerable to racial profiling. And we're certainly kind of, you know, the fact that the the alleged perpetrator in this incident and in the incident in New Jersey was African-American, we've already seen kind of um, a wedge issue in being introduced in terms of African-American communities and Jewish communities. And in this instance, you know, Hasidic communities. We call on the American people, Democrats and Republicans, to stand together against the cancer of hate bigotry and anti-Semitism. I just think that it's important for everyone to, to be vigilant and more importantly to um, be, be um, outspoken 
in their stance against anti-Semitism and the rise of hate in general. I was going to say, this is a community that has already seen racial tensions before. At one point, the ultra-Orthodox community in that school district won a majority of school board seats, even though their kids didn't go to the public schools there. Lots of rhetoric that already had people fired up. Now, this man pleading not guilty on all charges. Leisha Brooks from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Throughout the day, you're going to be seeing celebrations around the world as different time zones mark the stroke of midnight and the beginning of a new decade. The first big one, and perhaps the most famous one outside of Times Square, is always Sydney, Australia. Harbor, you've got the Opera House all aglow, and it happens early, like 8 a.m. Eastern. It is already midnight there. But this year, there have been lots of questions from Aussies over what exactly they're celebrating, because those fires we've been telling you about have improbably spread throughout vast parts of the country, and the weather has somehow grown even more dangerous. While a lot of us were partying over the holidays, ABC's Matt Gutman was covering this, and Matt, it was bad in December. I mean, what does January hold for Australia? Uh, more of the same. I mean, we are seeing record heat, um, record drought in Australia, the kind of thing that has never been seen in recorded history. The beaches began filling early. Signs Tasmanians were bracing for a scorcher. By early afternoon, it came. The mercury hit 40.8 degrees in Hobart, making it the hottest December day on record. And that is creating these massive fires that are actually so intense and so big, Brad, that they're creating their own weather patterns. There are thunderstorms that are being generated by the massive plumes of smoke being shot into the air. Um, That is in turn generating lightning, which can start new fires. We've had a challenging day in Victoria, and what we've seen up until today is more than 70 new fires in the state. And if you look around the country, you can see that there are fires that dot essentially the entire rim of Australia. Uh, The outback, the internal areas, there are fewer fires because there's less to burn there. Um, And for the first time ever, again, uh, triple digits were recorded in every single state in Australia. Imagine a country the size of the United States having 100 degree weather in every single state. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say Australia is huge. It's not like Indiana, like it is about the size of the U.S. So, I mean, how do you fight that, Matt? Because we talked to an Australian reporter a couple of weeks ago in New South Wales who said a lot of these are volunteer firefighter forces who basically kind of just need to wait for it to rain. What do you do? You wait for it to rain, Brad. And, and meteorologists there are saying that it could be three months away until they get that kind of help. You know, New South Wales is, is probably the epicenter. Um, it's also one of the most densely populated areas. And Pretty much for the entire New South Wales area and Australia, there are about 2,000 firefighters. They're all volunteers. A lot of time away from work. A lot of people are using up their annual leave as well. Um, A lot of people are just missing their families, you know. It doesn't sound like a lot, and it is not a lot. 75 engines uh, came down just from Oregon. In California, Uh, uh, there were about 8,000 firefighters, 8,000 fighting a single fire, the Kincaid Fire, uh, north of San Francisco. And they simply don't have that kind of capacity or those kinds of resources. Now, typically, 
U.S. firefighting planes, those uh, super tankers that you see, uh, the 747s that capable of dumping an enormous amount of uh, fire retardant on a fire uh, would help out in Australian fires. But here outside the Ronald Reagan Library, it's water drop after water drop. We had pretty significant fires in California through November. So I think they were delayed in getting there. I believe that now they're going to be sent in that direction uh, and are helping in that firefight. But they just don't have the resources to be able to grapple something on this scale. I don't even know if the United States would have the kind of resources. Yeah, just wonder if it's too little, too late. Meanwhile, in nearby Tasmania, we learned the air temperature there at one point rose 14 degrees in the span of 10 minutes. That is the sort of bizarre temperature explosions that you're seeing right now and controversy over whether this fireworks display should happen in just a few hours' time. Matt Gutman, thanks so much. Thanks, Brad. Next up on Start Here, it's a California law, but it's the World Wide Web, and it's getting ready for changes. Spoiler alert, over the next several days, you're about to start seeing stories about new laws that take effect on January 1st. Some are state, some are local, some are just repealing truly random laws that have stuck around a long time. This happens every year. Electric cars mean states are taking in less revenue from gasoline taxes, so eight states are either enacting or raising fees for electric vehicle owners. But some of these laws can impact everyone. For example, when California passes a law on car emissions, that effectively becomes a nationwide law, right? Because no car maker is going to be dumb enough to manufacture something that can't be sold in California. You won't do it. The same kind of goes for the tech industry. A lot of companies are headquartered there. So is the biggest customer base in the nation. And so tomorrow morning on New Year's Day, a new button, a new link will start appearing on several websites that could have big implications for your privacy. Let's talk to someone who's been up to her ears in this law. Haley Tsukayama is a legislative activist with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's a group that spent the last year defending this law from a bunch of rewrites. And Haley, I mean, tell me about this button. What's it going to be? How does this law work? All right. So the California Consumer Privacy Act gives you three basic protections. One, it gives you the right to ask companies what information they have about you. It gives you the right to ask for the deletion of that information. So you can say, you know what? I don't want you to have that anymore. You can ask them to delete it. And it gives you the right to opt out of the sale of that information. So if you say, you know, I don't really want you to sell that to anybody, you can you can ask them to do that and they should stop. So I feel like I hear the words data and privacy and data protection all the time. But I mean, what is the actual standard operating procedure? What would actually change in real life? It depends on the company, of course. You know, it's hard to give an easy answer that fits every company. Now to that explosive report about Facebook, the New York Times says the social media giant gave major tech companies like Apple, Amazon, and Netflix much more access to personal data than it had previously disclosed. But if you are, for example, um, you know, on a website and there is an ad uh, on that website, that ad is probably getting information from the website about, you know, they're looking at the cookies in your browser uh, and they're figuring out sort of what else you've been looking at. In some cases, they may have, you know, a lot of identifying information um, that's been collected on what else you visited. They're certainly looking at what time of day you're there, including things like relationship status, political leaning and upcoming events. And over time, that sort of information when built into a profile can really say a lot about you. Verizon, AT&T, Sprint and T-Mobile will no longer sell users' location data to third-party brokers. Those brokers traditionally resold the information without your consent. And so you can say, you know what, I don't want that profile to go to anybody else. So you've had to stick up for this law to people who say, 
there's no uniform code of conduct here. Companies have actually hired a lot of different lawyers. They spent lots of different money with different law firms. And that means they might all have different ideas at this point, what is actually legal and what's not. In your mind, how revolutionary would this law even be? Well, it is a big difference in that, you know, we've slowly been losing our privacy in a lot of ways. And this gives us a way to kind of stand up to companies and say, hey, you know, I just want to know what you have on me or I, you know, I want to be able to say that you can't share it. Um, and that, you know, that could have effects in a, in a lot of different ways. You know, it could be that you don't get quite so many, um, you know, pieces of junk mail from people who've bought your information from other people. It might be that ads don't follow you around. It really is going to be uh, lots of little ways that defend your privacy that will show up. So everything's just cool now then. Privacy restored starting tomorrow. Oh, no. I, well, I mean, certainly from a from a privacy advocate standpoint, there's a lot more that we'd like to see. First, let me start off by saying this is an opt-in law. Now, that means if you want to take advantage of the change, you'll need to do a little work. You know, now, one thing is we'd like to see people easy. be able to say, instead of saying, hey, could you stop sharing my information? We'd like to be able to say, hey, could you not share it until I give you my permission? Oh, so yeah. you're opting into it instead of the standard being we're taking your data. But uh, Haley, is there a case to be made that these are private companies, right? I mean, some of them, yes, are, are the Googles and the Facebooks and the streaming services, but there's also like mom and pop retailers, right? And if the internet is supposed to be this place of freedom, if you got a bad data reputation, customers can just not go to your website. Well, you know, I think that that is certainly an, an argument, uh, but, you know, we the way that we've seen, you know, not even in a malicious way, right, but just sort of the thoughtless way they collect data and don't secure it. Now to a major Fortnite breach. Parents, you're going to want to pay attention to this. A vulnerability may have let hackers take over players' accounts and use their credit cards. You know, that is a real problem for all of us. And so, um, yes, I certainly understand that it's cumbersome, but I really hope that this law makes companies think twice about what sort of information they need to collect and really what sort of standard of protection they need to give that information if they are going to collect it. It all begins tomorrow, not just in California. Haley Tsukayama with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. And one last thing, usually Roswell, New Mexico has the market cornered on weird sightings in the sky, but a little further north in Colorado. People uh, have started reporting uh, these these tiny specks of light. You can see them in the sky. There was another squadron of drones spotted flying over northeastern Colorado last night. Fleets of these mystery drones, uh, as many as 30 at one time. It's ABC's Clayton Sandell, who's based in Denver, and he says, picture a rugged Colorado landscape, and now imagine a few dozen specks of light flying around. It's scary. <laughs> Why so? Well, something's happening, and they should have notified someone. That is what people have been seeing in several areas all the way into neighboring Nebraska. They do appear to be flying in some sort of formation or coordination. Possibly uh, people have described it as being uh, following sort of a grid pattern out in the middle of nowhere. These drones are not tiny. They're apparently six feet wide each. And while it's illegal to fly drones like this at night without approval from the FAA, no one knows who they belong to. Who do you punish? And that's the thing. The FAA, uh, just within the last couple of weeks, proposed a rule that would allow them to track drones in real time. But that hasn't been implemented yet. 
It's a little frightening. I'm more worried about what they're doing and why they won't tell us. That. This confusion has led to a lot of conspiracy theories that it could be the government itself doing nefarious experiments. It could be aliens trying to communicate with us. I did talk to some some big drone operators and, and training companies who say that, you know, the, the most likely explanation is that uh, this this is uh, an operation by a private company that is out there uh, either looking at equipment, say, in the oil and gas industry, using the drones to scan for leaks. That makes people ask, well, who wants to survey pipelines at night? In any case, the mystery continues. The one thing that sheriffs are warning people, though, is that uh, to, to please don't shoot these drones down. But if one happens to fall in your yard, let us know so we can come and check it out and, and, and try and figure out who owns these things. Is that a serious concern in Colorado, Clayton, that people are just going to whip out their shotguns and take one down? It wouldn't be unheard of, Brad. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, producer David Ryan was reminding us, remember when Enrique Iglesias cut his hand because he was trying to touch a drone? Like, don't go near the drones, you guys. They're dangerous. A programming alert. We are not going to have a show tomorrow morning. So get out there. Enjoy the new year. We will be taking the day off. We'll be back here on Thursday morning, buckled up, ready to go. Hope you're there with us. In the meantime, stay up to the minute with us on Twitter at StartHereABC, ABCNews.com, the ABC News app. You got options. I'm Brad Milkey, and it's really been an amazing 2019. Glad I got to spend it with you every day. See you Thursday. Thursday.